0: Shirley Weeks was born in Rexburg, Idaho. She grew up in Plano, a rural farming community just nine miles northwest of Rexburg. She has been employed at BYU-Idaho for 16 years in the accounting office as a student's accounts coordinator. Shirley met her husband, Rod, while still in high school, and they've been married for 44 years. They are parents of five children, 20 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Shirley enjoys sewing, crafting, and going on scenic rides with her husband. She recently developed a love for family history work. Sister Weeks has served in many callings in the Church, including primary teacher, young women's advisor, Relief Society presidency member, and nursery leader. She currently serves as a Relief Society teacher in her ward. As the semester is winding down and you are busy with final projects, and preparing for your final exams, I thank you for taking the time to be here at devotional today. Thank you for the introduction, prayer, scripture, and the beautiful music. It was a cold but sunshiny winter Sunday morning. Our ward had just changed from the early morning block of church to a time later in the day. On this particular morning, I awoke without the assistance of my alarm. I fixed some breakfast and was able to spend some time studying my scriptures. And then I leisurely prepared myself for that day's church attendance. I fixed my hair, put on my makeup, and slipped into my dress. I had this thought come into my mind, what a perfect morning. Later on, I was called upon to give a prayer and release society, and it wasn't until then as I stood up in front of everyone that I glanced down and realized there was toothpaste drool all down the front of my dress. To some of you, that may not seem to be a big deal, but to someone who suffers from social anxiety, this incident kept me awake for many nights that followed. Every day, we are bombarded with the constant pressure to be perfect, We compare ourselves to photoshopped ads and flawless pictures on Instagram. What we forget is we are most often comparing our worst days with another's best days. Sometimes we may even fail to share our testimony because we feel it is not yet perfect. In last week's devotional, Brother Dean Cloward reminded us, We have been warned by our current prophets, and many who have come before, that we need to have testimonies that can withstand the buffetings and trials of the last days. We need testimonies that are steadfast and immovable. In this life, certain actions can be perfected. A baseball pitcher can throw a no hit, no run ball game. A surgeon can perform an operation without error. A musician can render a selection without a mistake. One can likewise achieve perfection in being punctual, paying tithing, keeping the Word of Wisdom, and so on. Our Lord and Savior, in His great Sermon on the Mount, gave us our greatest challenge and most important goal when He said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In these words, Jesus challenges us to strive for excellence in all that we do to develop our talents and abilities, and above all, to live in accordance with his teachings. So why, then, are some days so difficult? In this lifetime, we will all experience tragedies that seem to overtake us, days when life hurts so much we can barely breathe. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Notice that in this account, we have no identifying information about the central character of the story. We do not know if he was a merchant or a farmer. He may have been a father. Or maybe the man in the story was a student. Why are we given no detail about the poor man who made the lonely trek to Jericho? I believe the traveler represents you and me in our journey of life. Jerusalem was the holy city. It was the temple city. Its elevation would not be noteworthy, except in contrast to that of Jericho. From Jerusalem at 2,700 feet above sea level to Jericho, At 850 feet below sea level, the lowest city on the globe, is a descent of over 3,500 feet. Jesus' choice of those particular endpoints for the journey must have significance. Were the two cities chosen specifically because Jesus was teaching of every man's descent from the heavenly presence to this mortal world? We might paraphrase the story. Each of us came down from the presence of God to this lowly, desolate world. We too may have days when we fall among thieves. The risks of a lone journey along the road to Jericho were well known to the Jews of the time. Why was the traveler willing to take the risk of mortality? Why, do we, why did we take the risk of mortality? Why did we choose to come to this desolate place? All of this is part of a great plan, a plan that would enable us, as children of God, to become exalted and to become like Him. This plan is referred to in the scriptures as the great plan of happiness or the plan of salvation. In Preach My Gospel, we learn God is the Father of our spirits. We are literally His children, and He loves us. We lived as spirit children in heaven before we were born on this earth. We were not, however, like our Heavenly Father, nor could we ever become like Him and enjoy all the blessings that He enjoys without the experience of living in mortality with a physical body. God's whole purpose—His work and His glory—is to enable each of us to enjoy all His blessings. He has provided a plan to accomplish His purpose. We understood and accepted this plan before we came to earth. Trials come in all forms. I've witnessed someone with the strongest testimony whose spouse decided to leave the church. I've seen someone who was very physically active, yet their body was deteriorated by cancer. I've seen a dedicated wife whose spouse gave up on their marriage. Life is filled with detours and dead ends—trials and challenges of every kind. Heavenly Father allows these trials to come because we need them to learn and grow. In a talk given in April of 1974, Lauren C. Dunn related the following story about two trees that were close to his home. The first tree was a Russian olive tree and grew in his family's yard. It was watered every time the lawn was watered. And in that protected kind of environment, it grew to be a beautiful tree. Yet one night, a tremendous wind came up. Trees all over town were blown down. And with them went their Russian olive tree. It had been watered so well that the roots did not have to reach down into the soil. And because they were close to the surface, the tree toppled over. The second tree withstood the gale. It was a tremendous cottonwood which stood in the lane just a half a block from where he was born. This tree had always stood by itself, completely exposed to the elements, with nothing but a ditch running by, which most of the time was dry. The cottonwood was gnarled and tough, and its roots had to sink deep in order to drink of the water of life. But because its roots were forced downward, It withstood the mighty storm. Our lives can be similar to the trees. The trials we endure help to shape and strengthen us in ways we may not even know we need to be strengthened. I would like to share with you a story from my home life and my growing up years. To set the stage, you need to know that I am the youngest of three children. In fact, my siblings and I were separated in age by several years. So, by the time I was a teenager, my parents had been married for several years and were well-seasoned in this thing called marriage. Growing up, I had never seen my parents argue or even raise their voices at each other. So you can imagine how I felt the first time I had a disagreement with my husband. Thoughts crossed my mind that I must be a poor wife or that I may have picked the wrong guy to spend eternity with. After all, I was sure, I was right, and he was wrong. It was not until later in life when I spent some tender time with my mother. This is when I learned how mad my dad had been when my mom cut off her long hair. She said he wouldn't even talk to her for days. I also came to the realization that all those times when my mom would go missing, and I would find her sitting in an idle car out in the garage, This was her time communicating with her Father in Heaven, praying that He would help her get through those less-than-perfect days. It was then that I realized what I had hoped for in the beginning of my marriage was something my mother and father had worked many, many years to develop. One morning, as I knelt for my morning prayers, I distinctly remember praying that the Lord would provide me with the opportunity to serve someone that day. Sometime, mid-morning, I was informed that there was a student waiting in our office reception area that needed my assistance. Without too much further thought, I approached the front desk area and invited the student to my office. He followed me back, and before I could take my seat at my desk and turn to face him, the spirit whispered very distinctly in my mind, He is here now. I have sent him to you. The impressions I felt quickly reminded me of the following poem, which is attached to the front of my daily planner. I knelt to pray when day was done and prayed, O Lord, bless everyone. Lift from each saddened heart the pain and let the sick be well again. And then I woke another day and carelessly went on my way. The whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from any eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again, when day was done, I prayed, O Lord, bless everyone. But as I prayed into my ear, there came a voice that whispered clear, Pause now, my son, before you pray. Whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve Him here below. And then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, God, I have not tried. Let me live another day, and I will live the way I pray. Now back to the students sitting in my office. We began our conversation and talked about the charges which were still owed on his student account, and discussed his options for payment. Then, he broke down and expressed the real concerns that he was feeling that day. He had only been married for a short time, but he felt his marriage was failing. He expressed that all his siblings were happily married, and he wondered what he was doing wrong. I am not a skilled counselor. However, I, now the one who had been married for several years, was able to share with him what had worked for me. I assured him that he needed to continue to do those things that he most likely was already doing— daily prayer and scripture study, temple attendance, and to continue to keep the covenants that he had made with his Father in heaven. Now, my advice was simple, but the spirit that presided in that small office that day was undeniable. I later learned from our receptionist that the student had returned to ask my name, which confirmed that he had felt the same impressions. When we work to improve our relationship with Heavenly Father, He will bless us in return with what is best. An important and comforting doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our Heavenly Father has perfect love for His children. Because of that perfect love, He blesses us not only according to our desires and needs, but also according to His infinite wisdom. The prophet Mormon stated, And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come. Wherefore, He worketh in me to do according to His will. Heavenly Father is aware of us. He knows our needs and will help us perfectly. Sometimes our most earnest and worthy desires are not answered in the way we hope, but we find that God has greater blessings in store. In the Doctrine and Covenants, we read, For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. If we strive to do the best we can, the Lord will bless us. The dictionary defines perfect as the act of making something completely free of faults or defects or as close to such a condition as possible. This can seem overwhelming and impossible. In our most recent general conference, Elder Paul V. Johnson taught, we may have a tendency to think we have to perfect ourselves, but that is not possible. Following every suggestion in every self help book in the world will not bring it about. There is only one way and one name whereby for perfection comes. We are made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. Our perfection is only possible through God's grace. How does the knowledge of God's grace affect you personally? From this week's Devotional Discussion Board, Trisha Wadey shared this thought. Grace is a concept I have been trying to actively work on this year. I have spent a lot of time being very hard on myself, to the point that at times I didn't renew my temple recommend, not because of any actual sin, but because I didn't think I was perfect enough to deserve it. This year I have been working a lot on remembering that although the Lord does want me to be come perfected in him, that means with him as a partner, not that I have to be perfect on my own. Because he loves me as I am now and wants, me to, wants to help me get the rest of the way to where he knows I can be. Thank you, Trisha, for your post. As we began our study this year of the Old Testament, we reviewed once again the story of the creation. In her book, Grace to Become, Emily Bell Freeman writes, From the void, from the place without form, out of the inky darkness, God moved. And through a process of progression, the earth was made. Day one brought light out of darkness. Next came the separation of earth from heaven. On the third day, water and dry land appeared along with grasses, herbs, and fruit trees. Day four brought forth lights for signs, seasons, days, and years. We see the sun, the moon, the stars, and we remember. On day five, the waters brought forth abundantly great whales and fish and living creatures that moved. But this was not all. He also imagined into reality bright-colored birds to fly above the earth. Day six brought forth living creatures creatures on the land, including everything that creepeth. The creation was a process of progression. Each day's new gift is introduced because of the preparation of the day before, one building upon the other, line upon line, precept upon precept. In Genesis, we discover a godly pattern for growth and for becoming and progression. Emily continues. Within the beautiful imagery of the creation, in the midst of every step, there is an oft-repeated phrase. We see it for the first time after day one, and God saw the light, that it was good. It's there again on day three, after the waters and land were separated. God saw that it was good. Four more times within the process, scripture records a similar phrase, and God saw that it was good. It is my nature to wait until the process is completed, until the work is finished, to evaluate whether or not my work is good. It's always in the end that I step back to evaluate the finished work and determine its worth. But not God. He saw the goodness in every step of the progression. He spoke it out loud on day one, twice on day three, and again there on day four. From the story of the creation, we learn that our Father is just as interested in the day-to-day progress as He is in the finished product. I think sometimes we forget that is true. We wonder if we are enough, if we are failing, if we are falling behind. We become discouraged. We doubt. We consider giving up. We must remember that God never expected the results of day six on day two. On day two, he was thrilled with the results of day two. He declared it good. Why do we put the pressure on ourselves to become complete today instead of embracing the idea of progression? A little at a time, every day better, grace for grace. What if exaltation is all about progression? Our God knows about line upon line. He sees where you have come from. He knows what you had to do to simply get through this day. If he were to whisper down from heaven tonight as you drift off to sleep, do you know I think he would, what I think he would tell you? You are already good. It's an important concept to remember that he is a god of day by day." End quote. We all mess up, and we all fail. We might even spill toothpaste on our dresses. However, this mortal life, thankfully, is not the end. I am eternally grateful for God's perfect plan and His perfect Son. He provides a way for us to return to Him in a fully developed, completed, perfected state. All that matters is that we try a little harder to be a little better every single day. I testify that God's love for you is perfect. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.